Where are the Ides of September, it's Trashback Ratio. Ratio episode two. Uh, thanks for joining us last time. If you did, when we talked about Ben Wheatley's A Field in England, this month on the Movie Club, we're going to be talking about Eating Raoul, directed uh, by Paul Bartel. Is that it? Yep. Yep. Yeah, man, I'm I'm so with it. And with me again is Destiny Sturdevant. Hello. Kyle Turner. Hey there. And Matthew Marco. I'm the butt. <laughs> you are so again as always how's everyone doing anyone seen any films anyone want to kick this off i uh finally saw uh the sam raimi spider-man film from almost a decade ago hey welcome to 2001 yeah i did it 2002 even i guess I did don't it. worry destiny a hero can save us <laughs> <laughs> is that batman <laughs> No, that's, um, the, oh, I can't remember the band. Hang on. It's Chad Kroger. Chad Kroger, yes. Uh, yeah. The Nickelback guy. Nickelback man. Mr. Yeah. Nickelback. Mr. Nickelback. Chad Mr. Nickelback. Mr. Back, thank you. <laughs> oh, Nickelback. It is, this is, we're one step away from Meatloaf again. Christ, okay. Oh, that was fun. Yep. Other podcasts. Yep. What did you think of Sam Raimi's The Spider-Man? I enjoyed it. Uh, the reason I avoided it for so long was because... Well, I just never had an interest in Spider-Man ever, but That's I figured... That's understandable. Yeah, well, even though, um, you know, I like a lot of the other Marvel films, and I never really read, you know, comics of those characters, I figured it was time to see this movie, and I did enjoy it. It had a great 90s vibe to it. It sadly don't really make superhero movies like that anymore but uh, that's okay i agree i agree i it's at the time everyone was like oh this is the new wave superhero films but it's very clearly in the the old guard of those 90s films Mm -hmm. they're incredibly ridiculous but anyone else uh i revisited apollo 13 oh nice nice uh that movie is really weird in that it is less interested in being a biopic and just in like reveling in the it's like a feature-length dramatization because it kind of just table sets for 20 minutes and then lets everything play out with very little actual narrative arc in the way that most uh fictionalizations of real events try to do Mm -hmm. it kind of just leans into hey the real life story is interesting and uh enough to get people involved and uh, they're not wrong, because that movie, I had not seen it since my childhood, where I saw it roughly 75 times, probably, because it was always <laughs> on TV. But uh, I ended up getting uh, super emotional during a, a large swath of that movie. Just the realization of 
space travel. That movie is space majesty as more than most movies will ever achieve. It's cool. I, I like it too. Anyone else have any input? I don't know. I'm just trying to uh, kickstart discussion here, but I guess we'll go to Kyle. Kyle, seen a film. I saw R.J. Cutler's If I Stay with Chloe Grace Moretz. It was. What is that? Um, it is based on a young adult novel by Gail Foreman. It is about a young woman who, she's a teenager and about to go off to college. She is a cellist, and uh, unexpectedly she gets into a car crash and has an out-of-body experience, kind of watching things happen. And then most of the film is told in flashback, and it is the most insultingly and offensively stupid movie I've seen this year. How and why? Okay, I went with, like, average expectations. I'd be just, like, bad and forgettable. That's fine. But it was... It seemed to be really tone-deaf and just so... I was so angry at it because it was, like, making my expectations, like, blow them out of the water in terms of how bad it was. Um, Since most of the film is told in flashback, it's, like... It ends up being two separate films, the flashbacks and then what's going on in the present tense, and the two have no relation to one another. There's no kind of like cause and effect or anything. And there's no, a lot of it hinges on the idea that music shapes your identity, and it doesn't sh- show that at all. It tells you a lot that, that those characters are shaped by music, but it never actually shows you that. And it never actually contemplates the question if I say, and the, the main, um, question of the film is supposed to be whether Chloe Moretz wants to wake up, wake up from her coma or yeah. uh, go into the light and die. And it absolutely never asks that question except for one line of dialogue. One mild, one small monologue. And that yeah. is just so incredibly frustrating. And besides that, I've been kind of making my way through True Detective, which I'm kind of mad about. I, th- I thought that was meant to be the best TV show ever made ever since the last one. <laughs> the best TV show ever is The Wire. Come on. Yep. I mean, yeah, no, I, yeah, I'm, I was being sarcastic. Or Frasier. I'm really not. <laughs> I love Frasier. Frasier's like, Frasier's great. I, I haven't seen Frasier. It's a good time. You would like it. You would like Frasier. I bet yeah. I would. I bet I would. The film I saw, because I've, I've not seen very many films this month. Uh, but we did say we'd kind of talk about it this time because I saw Lucy. Oh, way, oh yeah, remember fun. that? Remember that way back in those days when we were talking about Lucy? Yes. It was an innocent time. We weren't at war. Yes, young country. <laughs> Everyone had jobs. Everyone had jobs, yeah. There was an optimism in the air. A young man named Barack Obama was in office. <laughs> yep. Uh, I love Lucy. Thanks. And, uh, <laughs> me too. Me too. It took me a second is the worst part. So, oh. good job. Yep. Oh. Uh, I think that film's fantastic. I th- One of my favorite cinema experiences just sitting there watching the nonsense but like carefully crafted smart about itself nonsense just unfold into this beautiful just ridiculousness and as it just does, two thousand and one. Ah, oh, perfect. Yeah, that, yeah, that movie. What? Well, just um, yeah. I can't. Just, 
can't say enough good things. I'm just howling in laughter as it every time it cuts to 99% or or something ridiculous like that. That's a good film. Yeah, it's a French anime kitsch is delightful. I wish there was more movies like it. Agreed. There's that in the fifth element, so... Pretty much. And uh, that's, that's a good combination. But I guess we're going to move in to uh, the movie club. So for the movie club this month, we did uh, Eating Raoul by, well, directed by Paul Bartel, written by Paul Bartel and Richard Blackburn. Uh, in 1982, kind of black comedy film. It was Destiny's Pick this month. So if you want to go and tell us a little bit about it and why you picked it, oh. we'll get into it. Okie dokie. Eating Raoul... Uh, it's the story of Paul and Mary Bland, played by Paul Bartel and Mary Warrenov, uh, respectively, a very square couple living in a super decrepit, over-sexualized, uh, version of Los Angeles. Uh, they live in an apartment complex that's, like, <laughs> taken over, kind of, by swinger culture, and... Uh, one night, one of the swingers uh, breaks in and tries to assault Mary, and uh, they kill the swinger and decide to rob them, and then this sort of uh, kicks off their life of crime, <laughs> where they, d- to- they feel like they are totally justified in murdering and robbing swingers, uh, so... Uh, they end up getting mixed up with this thief named Raul, and it just kind of goes from there. And I picked this movie because I am a huge Mary Warrenov fan. She was in a couple of my favorite movies, um, Rock and Roll High School, House of the Devil. She's like this great cult actress. She started out in uh, Andy Warhol movies, and... Um, I have always wanted to see this movie. I've always been a fan of schlock and just uh, early 80s, late 70s cinema in general, especially when it comes to, like, uh, black comedies. Anyway, so uh, what did everybody think of Eating Raul? Who's who's gonna... Who's... Guys, guys, who's gonna bite? Ha 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 ha. Okay. Well. <laughs> nice. Thank you, Jackson. Yeah, thanks where, for listening to the last episode of, of Trashback Ratio. Um, have to. Are you going to cancel your own podcast? I have to. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Toodle. I am not going to say punishment because that'd be just. I don't even know. Anyway. <laughs> what? Yeah. Who wants? To, who actually genuinely? Who wants to go? Who wants to go first? Who's going to take it? I will go last. I'll take it. You're going to take it. Yeah. You're going to go last, Kyle. Okay. Um. This movie was a delight from the beginning with its faux uh, news report, man on the street, like educational film, like documentary narration to its kind of seedy, kitschy version of 70s culture seen through the lens of like the burnout 80s to all of its violence, as slapstick as it is. Uh, The thing I liked most about this movie is how blase it is about this culture clash because you have your leads which are essentially like these 50s button-up archetypes 
in like the 80s when that became like a relevant thing again as like the nostalgia wave crested and you have them butting up against this free love like drugs and sex version of the 70s that is clearly seen better days it's like the extras when uh when boogie nights hits 1980 and everyone's sad and tired (laughs) just spilled over into another party at someone else's place and that uh, juxtaposition, I think, is great. And it's played with the most deadpan, straight-faced uh, bits and beats that it turns into just this farce, but, like, a farce about how we feel about our own attitudes towards, like, capitalism and sex. And I think it's really smart about it. Oh, I agree. Yep, just pretty much. throwing that out there. Uh, <laughs> I'm... I guess I could talk about my own feelings, or do you want to talk about yours, Jackson, and then Kyle said he'd go last? I don't know. I mean, I guess because we're all on one side and Kyle's on the other. So I guess we'll go first, and then then Kyle can, you know, rebut. Yeah, no, I'll go then. All right. Um, (laughs) Really smart podcast planning. We're the best. It's okay. Second episode. Uh, Yeah, that's how we do. Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It's hilarious, which I don't know why that surprised me. I was expecting it to be kind of more mutedly funny, but because it, it combines this just kind of tonally, just deadpan humor with ridiculous slapstick in a way that <laughs> is, I find delightful when anyone can do both of those two tones at the same time. Like, we're going to do completely ridiculous slapstick, but then not have all the dialogue and stuff acknowledge this. Just like on a tonal level, was just really well constructed and really impactful on that, and everything you know Matt said about it being these two almost out of time people in this ridiculous modern city, and how it approached all of that stuff is incredibly smart. All this just Paul as the schlubbiest schlub to ever schlub through Schlubland. <laughs> the scene with him in the sex shop trying to buy things was just fantastic. Oh. <laughs> And I think I said on Twitter that um, Mary's face while the Nazi client is monologuing to him and there's her bored expression by everything she's being forced to do is basically everything to me. It's, it's pretty great. It's a good <laughs> film. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I... As, as somebody who loves John Waters, this movie hit all my buttons. Like, it was trashy but still smart which is, like, my favorite thing in the whole wide world to watch. Yep. It was crazy funny. It had a great aesthetic to it. Um, I could watch just shots of their 50s uh, interior department, like, uh, apartment, like, the way their apartment was furnished and stuff. I could just watch that all day. Um, Mary Warnov's gorgeous and... All her lines were great. Um, I feel like even like the stuff in this movie that could have just been downright offensive is still handled with a lot of um, intelligence. Like a lot mm-hmm. of the sex stuff and the race stuff because Raul is uh, Chicano and uh, Paul's like attacks of him are at first all kind of based on race. Like he sends... Uh, a, a nun after him to feel guilt, make him feel guilty because he assumes he's really Catholic. 
then he assumes like, oh, he probably has immigration problems, so we'll send a immigration agent after him, and, and um, like those things are still pretty funny since Raul has the upper hand, and I like that the main characters, even though they're out of place in the culture of the film and they're kind of a joke in themselves, they're still weirdly sympathetic because they love each other so much and they, yeah. <laughs> you know, like you want them to get their restaurant even though they're killing people. They, like, just, they just need their restaurant. They yeah, just want to move to their folk. restaurant. They're simple folk. Anyway, uh, what did you think of the movie, Kyle? I kind of hated it, actually. I... <laughs> I don't know why, but I have an. I have a no. I, I, I this is specific. I don't know why, but I have a deep aversion to um, sexual assault in film, just in general. And well, yeah, that's not a. I don't know why thing. That's the, the why on that is pretty obvious. Like yeah, I no, understand. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I feel like any time that I've ever had to not like justify sounds wrong, but any time I've ever um, felt quote-unquote okay with its presence in the film, there's been um, the surrounding text I've been able to grasp more of and to read more from, like, Dogville or um, something else along those lines. Um, And this, I just didn't think it was funny. I don't get the humor, and I felt that when it wasn't trying to be so absurd about its premise, it kind of dwindled into this conventionality that I became over-familiar with and didn't find very interesting or engaging. And I didn't get the satire. I didn't really understand what exactly it was satirizing. And maybe I'm too young to really understand what it was trying to do. But I just didn't, did not think it was funny at all. I, I found it more obnoxious. Um, and it's kind of what I felt really desperate attempt to seem kind of blasphemous or... Um, out there, I felt that it was kind of exhausting and not entirely amusing. It was the, it's one of the few films I've ever like looked at my watch at and see and thought, is this over yet? Oh, oh wow. man. <laughs> yeah, that's... It's 83 minutes long! I know. <laughs> I, I, wow, I, you really hate it. Moves. It moves. Like I don't that. think it's... I get... I, I kind of get what... Matt was saying, and I, I like that reading. It's just I didn't personally find that or connect with that. No, I think that's fine. I, I, I think that the main thing about the way that the sex stuff is sort of taken on in that film, the culture was just, like, in this place where, like, everything, everyone was way more blasé about that stuff than we are now because of, you know everything just like you know feminism coming a long way and you know the law finally catching up with rights human rights you know Mm -hmm. um and and you know and nothing's perfect now things are still pretty disgusting so like what i like about the way it's handled in eating raul is that you know like it's never a joke that mary's being sort of like attacked because she can always like like she knows it's wrong paul knows it's wrong raul knows it's wrong and then they kind of 
over-exaggerate, like, the swingers and how they, you know, prey on her. And, like, the, definitely the predator-prey interaction is played for laughs, but I... Like, if the movie didn't... And this is going to sound totally screwed up, but mm-hmm. if he wasn't... If Paul hadn't been right there with the frying pan to stop all the uh, gross things that were happening to Mary... I probably would have had a more like a bigger problem <laughs> with what was going on. Yeah. And also since the intro of the film sets up that this is not the LA of reality. This yeah. is sort of a cartoon mm-hmm. where men are wolves and women are, you know, sort of like you have to be street smart. You have to kind of put on this air of, you know, handling things mm-hmm. and taking things in your own hands to, like, deal with these wolves. Uh, since that's the universe it all exists in, I didn't really take it as seriously as I would have if it had been, like, a movie set in, say, the Los Angeles of Pulp Fiction or the Los Angeles of... I'm trying to think, what are other movies set in L.A.? Just a all more realistic... Movies. Yeah. Uh, Los Angeles plays aren't... itself. Battle L.A. <laughs> Yeah, like, (laughs) um, Escape from L.A. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, But, you know, just a more realistic movie, Los Angeles, uh, I'd be less forgiving. And I I don't know if that's mansplaining. I don't know, but I, uh, that's how I felt. There's there's that really smart scene uh, in the film. I don't know which um, one it is. But I've, like, one of the first like people they send over to the house where uh, um, Paul's there with the frying pan and Mary's out there like, okay, kill him now. And he refuses to actually kill him until he hears proof that Mary's being attacked. I thought that scene did a lot in terms of justifying it being self-aware about its use of it. Because that was like a, a commentary on this guy. He's killing people and luring them to kill them, but in his mind... Um, once you know the woman has been touched, he is then justified in it, and that is an easy out for him. Right, even though yeah, they're luring them. Yeah, and purposely. Like, what the hell are you doing? I just I don't want to go through that. You're hit, you're there to kill him. You don't. And like that scene specifically is one of the ones I would point to to show that it knows what it's doing way more than just using it for laughs. Because I don't ever think that's that is the joke. That's not ever the joke. Okay, yeah. I mean it certainly leans into like treating these things as absurdist tableaus. Yes. I don't think that we can entirely excuse it. Like it takes it seriously. I mean, it, it gives it the way it deserves, but it also plays it for laughs. And I think that there it's of a time and place. Like if you look at a film and this was from like 15 years earlier, but Robbie Downey senior's no more excuses is the movie that I think is very much like this, which it was him on the street, just talking about Manhattan single scene, uh, like people dating and whatnot. And one of the, vignettes of that movie is an intruder who breaks into a house to rape a woman and she ends up not only like being too insatiable for him but like a chimpanzee shows up and she ends up like rolling in the bed with the chimpanzee as like this perverse parody of what he wanted to do to her as like this bestial violent thing and i think this movie is more buttoned up than that but i think it leans into the same kind of ideas about showing these base human instincts in this space of exaggeration and parody of what like is in a lot of the interactions people actually do have in their lives. Mm -hmm. I can, I can see that. 
I guess. I, I had I had hopes for this film because I really liked the beginning scene and I thought that was very funny and the way that it introduced LA as that cartoon. And then I felt I, I think this ha- mostly has to do with the fact that I'm, I haven't done I guess enough research and I'm not that familiar with the era. I just felt very alienated from it and didn't get that I was despite ha- it having introduced me to that world. I guess I didn't become as well acquainted with um, being in that environment and understanding why it was doing the things it was because it was in that world. So where did you fall off the film then? What point did it lose you? If you were there at the start, when did it lose you? Um, the first assault scene. When the swingers move in and then the first guy comes in. Okay. And I just feel like if uh, he had died earlier or, or something, I realize that like narratively and logistically that wouldn't have made sense. I might have been more okay with it. The, the scene that I was thinking of throughout the film um, was actually a scene from Blue Jasmine where uh, the guy from A Serious Man um, tries to assault um, Kate Blanchett. Oh, the dentist? The dentist, yeah. I thought that was a very interesting scene, and I was kind of hoping it would be as restrained as that, but I realized they're both very different films. I actually hated that scene in Re- Blue Jasmine. It, I felt like it didn't, like, I, I felt like it came out of nowhere, and I didn't understand why it was in the film. Well, he'd but been h- hitting on her earlier. Yeah, I know, but, like... I don't know. I don't know. I I just I never understood how that informed her character or like not to start talking about a completely different film. <laughs> it just like at least like when I think about eating Raul, like I understand why that was in the movie because these yeah. swingers are completely insane and they don't have any morals and like th- their actions are supposed to reflect that. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Blue Jasmine it was just sort of like She's working at this place, and she's supposed to get her life together, and they needed a reason for her to quit, and it could have just been her own flaws. But, like, instead, let's throw in this character who is super gross out of nowhere, and it it was kind of... Like, I don't even know if it was supposed to be funny. Like, I don't know. That scene always rubbed me the wrong way. I understand. And I was thinking uh, about that scene more with regards to its execution than its actual place in the film. Okay, sorry. I no, no, I understand it, a bit. No, no, I understand it. It, it. it probably sounded confusing, but in terms of that execution, there was a little bit more restraint, and it was definitely played for laughs. Um, I just this is not a movie. I don't think Eating Raul is a movie about restraint. <laughs> and I not to not to sound that. rude. Yeah, it's definitely going for eleven on the dial of um, outrageous. Uh, morality. Yeah, but it plays everything with such a ridiculous kind of straight man attitude that I think it's entirely about restraint. Like, everything Paul does with his inability to be outrageous in any way, mm. surrounded by the most outrageous world that they've ever come up with. I don't, I don't know if I'd call that restraint. I think it drags out the banality of everyone's like private lives that you feel personally is really exotic but when it's pulled into like the sunlight everyone has kind of the same 
like proclivities towards perversion or yeah. violence or greed. That's why I think one of the best characters in that movie is Doris the Dominatrix. Yes, I was oh, thinking yes. of her. Yes. Well. yes, yes, yes. Loved her. I'm glad everyone's in agreement about that. But she's a character who has gone through all these things and seen everything, and she just is a mom who, in her daily life, is just the most plain, <laughs> yeah. boring person. Making babies out of a blender. And- the baby's over there. And saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? She's like, oh, just pass me the thing. I've got to do this thing. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And her being unfazed by the things that kind of tear Paul and Mary apart and, like, destroy, like, Raul and everything, I think speaks to how this movie feels about these attitudes. That it is in not investing all of this emotion into these things that you find like an escape from them yeah that car agrees that car, yeah <laughs> yeah car definitely agrees. Car's, car's like heck car's, yeah car's, car's like yep that's me too <laughs> oh. i was gonna i was no mostly no. my issue ended up being besides the me not getting it i guess i ended up finding it uninteresting so i that's everything fine. i don't think you have to apologize for your feelings i really don't I I'm sorry for all of my feelings, Destiny. Trust no, me. I'm I really so sorry. Don't. I think it's a totally because this is the kind of <laughs> this is the kind of movie where like not everybody's gonna like it. I really don't. I, I would not expect. There's a reason why it's this underground sort of you know cult classic. It's not for everyone, so I mm. think it's totally okay for you to not like it. You know. Mm. It's not going to ring everybody's bells, and it's not going to make everyone laugh. So I, I think that's totally... Like, everything you're saying makes perfect sense to me, even if I don't feel the same way. Because, mm-hmm. like, you know, we Matt and I watched this together, and we were cracking up. And, like, like I think, what, 20 minutes in, Matt, you turned to me and you said, this is the most you movie that you could have picked for this podcast. Didn't you it s- remains true. Like, what scene did you say that to me? Do you remember? No, I have no idea. Yeah, but that that tickled me. Uh, yeah, so no, I completely, like, don't feel bad for not liking it, because I think it's definitely not for everyone, and I completely respect your opinions. I respect all y'all appealing, opinion, opinion, opinions as well. I can't speak. Opinions. I don't respect anyone's opinion. Yeah, I was going to say, someone <laughs> here. I, I don't respect so. I, no regrets. I don't regret my re- respect. I don't regret. I don't regret no one's sing, respect. Sing it, Edith Piaf. Sing it. <laughs> I regret nothing. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, 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 I realize I have a very high tolerance for schlock, and it completely, sometimes it contradicts, and sometimes it informs my own. Uh, beliefs on uh, class and race and sex and gender, but I, yeah, this movie, I, I uh, actually want to watch more Par, Par-, Par- Bartel movies because of this film. I haven't seen anything else he's done. I've seen, uh, he had a cameo, the, the Bland show up in a tiny, tiny cameo in the film Chopping Mall, which is this really gross, uh, hilarious a uh, teen horror film about ro- robots who are uh, security robots for this mall that end up malfunctioning while a group of teens are spending the night at the mall and they kill them off one by one and Paul and Mary Bland work at a hot dog stand <laughs> in this mall. Uh, and um, 
Yeah, like... That's not a restaurant. <laughs> I know, I don't know... Like, what happened? I, yeah, exactly. I don't know where it falls in the life in the of canon. this couple. Yeah, in the canon. The bland canon. The blanon. Uh, yep. <laughs> but, yeah, I, um, I'm i always a fan of this sort of crap. Yeah. <laughs> and I think if you guys liked eating Raul, you would enjoy the movie Polyester, because it's also about characters who... It, it's about this family that succumbs to all the uh, immorality of the culture, but the mother, the the matriarchy figure um, played by Divine is sort of like trying to save her family from all of it and in the meantime trying to like navigate her own dissatisfaction with being a wife and a mother by falling in love with Tab Hunter. Uh, <laughs> it's a great film. I don't know. So if you like that sort of humor, you might like this. Uh, polyester. Cool. I just googled Tab Hunter. Yeah, he was real cute. He's a he was a teen idol in the 1960s. He dated Natalie Wood, uh, and then he came out as bisexual, and now he has like little roles and things. He's still acting. He's also, if you ever see the I Am Divine documentary, he speaks fondly of his former co-star in that. It's a great documentary. Also, a uh, side note, this is uh, Mary Warrenov's She doesn't act anymore, but when interviewed about her career in the AV Club, she said that this, uh, that Eating Raul was her favorite role as an actress. Mm, it's cool. Yeah. She, she does fantastic. So, <laughs> you know, it's a, good, it's a good favorite role to have. Yeah, she said she was allowed to do whatever she wanted. And... Uh, that the what did she say she said that she thought the movie was funny but really really scary and she loved the combination of that but it took apparently it took a really long time for him to film the movie probably for budgetary reasons yeah and um let's see Oh, and she didn't talk to Paul for a year because whenever he marketed the movie, he would lie and tell people that they were married in real life and it creeped her out real bad. Oh, that's not cool. Yeah, not cool at all. Uh, and they never really explained what was going on with that. But apparently he was going to make a sequel called Bland Ambition, but it just never came together. And even if it had happened, I don't think I would have been in it as interested because Mary Warrenov was not involved. What? Yeah. Wait, seriously? They're yeah, going to make he... a sequel to that without Mary Warrenov? Yeah, Paul had this whole thing where he wanted someone younger to play the character or something. Or, or not the character, but he like wanted a younger uh, woman protagonist. And so Mary had like a tiny part in it and she was offended. And um, yeah, I don't know what was going on there. So... Shake my head at that. Yeah, I'll have to look up what's going on. As for time for research. Later. I, I've spent the entire film thinking, like, why is it called Eating Red? Where, when do they start? Because I was assuming they were just going to start, like, actually eating people at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I but thought there had... was going to be more cannibalism, too. I thought <laughs> it there was. I was just waiting for the cannibalism to happen. And then it just happened at the end. I was like, this is. You just named it that. For just the uh, longest brick joke. Good job. <laughs> I honestly thought it was going to be like funny Sweeney Todd. Yeah, I was expecting something more like that. Uh, because the name implies that. 
And then it was about half an hour before Raul showed up, and then about 80 minutes before the eating showed up. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but it was that, was that was pretty great. That was pretty good. So the important question for you, Jackson, is how much does this change how you view Commander Chakotay on Voyager? <laughs> None. Oh. I have no opinion of Commander Chakotay on Voyager. He's terrible. Yes, I know, but I mean, the absence of an opinion is more than that. Like, yeah, Commander Chakotay exists and is terrible, and I'd never think when, about it. When him. he was younger, he was kind of a cutie. That's that's what I took away from this. I it's blew true. Matt's mind with that, because... I... Then he got then he got that face tattoo and everything went downhill. He went on. Uh, he, well, he didn't really go on it. He told other people on the ship to have spiritual quests. <sighs> yeah, sorry, didn't mean to talk about Star Trek Void. You brought it up. I did. That's totally my fault. That's your fault. That is a good fact. Because <laughs> I'd forgotten. You told me before the film, and then I you told me again. I was like, "You're right. That is. He is that. Christ, how did that happen?" <laughs> doesn't look anything like himself later on. I know. Yeah, he was really cute. I saw a movie adaptation of the book, or excuse me, the play Zoot Suit, which is about um, Chicano culture and Vato culture in the 1920s, or was it the 30s? I don't know. I read it for a Latino literature class, and it was super good, and he was in it. Uh, and... Uh, the whole movie, I'm like, why does that guy look familiar? And uh, ended up having to look him up on IMDb after, and that's how we found out he was on Star Trek. Zoot Zoot Riot. 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 I used to love that song. Remember the 90s, you guys? No. I try not to. Remember Swing? (laughs) Swing from the 90s, you guys? Matt, you're watching Star Trek and Buffy right now. I know what you're talking about. Oh, we have so much yeah. fun yelling about fashion. At <laughs> the screen, at whatever's going on. Fashion? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Since when is yeah, Matt... like 90s fashion? Y- y- when is y- Matt an authority on fashion? He's an authority. Hey, I'm not authority. Wait, what? Opinions. I'm not yeah, an authority, I just have opinions. You're an authority on what looks good on Cordelia, though. Uh, that's because Cordelia is the best. <laughs> Oh, um, I don't know if anybody else is this nerdy, but I was really excited for that Buck Henry cameo in Eating Raul. I don't know if anybody else went, oh, when he showed his face in this movie as the gross guy at the bank. Was I the only one? I didn't know who that was. Oh, well, he co-wrote The Graduate and directed Heaven Can Wait. He's a freaking comedy legend. Oh, cool. He was on Saturday Night Live a billion times in the 80s. Um, what were you going to say, Kyle? I thought Heaven Can Wait was directed by Ernst Liebich. Uh, I'm talking about the 1978 film with Warren Beatty. Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> Where he's the he's the hairstylist and he dies. Okay. And he, yeah, um, it's pretty cute. And Chris Rock did a uh, adaptation called Down to Earth in 2001, which was also really great. Ooh. Tab Hunter <laughs> dated Anthony Perkins for a long time. Wow, that's a cute couple. Nice. That's to answer your vi- question, yes, I am. Yes, you do know that other people here are that nerdy. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, not that specifically, but yeah, come on. Who yeah. are you talking to here? I'm in the right place. 
I'm home. <laughs> so is that is that club club wraps up? Wraps up club? Anyone got any final thoughts for the club? Um no. Cool. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say something really smart and you're like, no. <laughs> I could tell that I could tell that was gonna be a no. Just something about it. All along. Oh. Um what are my final thoughts? My final thoughts are that we should bring back um a lot of the cute things that Mary Warnov wore in that movie. And um I'm that's glad the, that's the most important takeaway. <laughs> I'm glad that swingers are sort of hidden away in internet culture now and not so much invading apartments. Oh no, our apartment building got invaded by swingers. <laughs> Now I know what my apartment's like. It's just <laughs> college dorms. <laughs> Gross. My final thought is I appreciate all of your opinions and I wish I liked it more, but I don't. Your guilt over not liking this is adorable when this is specifically a podcast about discussing different opinions. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. It's true. Well, that that does it then. Bam. Stamp that one. What's... uh, We'll do that at the end of the show, actually. We'll introduce the next one. We have one question. I don't know if anyone wants to go for it, wants to bite. A question from... I don't know what the question is, so ask us. It's a question from Callum. Okay. Uh, Do you think... Do you... I can't. Did you hear me bracing myself when you said that? (laughs) Yes! (laughs) Do you folks think that Summer 2014 will be a wake-up call for Hollywood, or do you think they'll ignore the signs? What do you think, Matt? Wait, what? I assume he means about uh, women leading movies. No, he's... Oh, no. I think he's he's talking about the fact that Summer 2014 was the worst since 1997. Callum's talking about box office. So, here's the actual secret... If you care about movies, you shouldn't give a shit about box office unless you own stock or you work for a company. Thank you. Yep. So, Callum, I know that you want to be a film critic, and if you listen to this, don't give a shit about box office. Don't be that person that shit poisons movie writing and movie consideration. Like what you like, be thoughtful about it, and everyone else can go fuck off. Like, even if you want to be glad that something's done well, like, it doesn't matter that much. It's fine. Yeah, don't don't let yeah. them put consumerism in your art. Ah. They do enough of that already. Scott Pilgrim's great, rego- and you don't need to say it's a shame no one saw it. It's just great. It's a great film. What? You saw it. What happened in the summer of 2014? I agree. That was a wake-up call. Like, I don't even understand make, the question. Because it, it made less money. It made the least amount of money since 1997. Maybe that'll teach them to make good movies? If, if, <laughs> like, if he wants a real answer, I guess that's my answer. <laughs> But the, th- uh, the thing is, I've seen him specifically tweeting a lot about how this summer's been had a lot of bad movies. I thought it's been fine. Yeah, I was like, I didn't see yeah. anything terrible. I actually thought it's been a pretty good one, all yeah. things considered. See, I, I, we got, we the have... actual answer is don't go see movies that look bad. I mean, yes, nope. that's the yeah. true answer. I, yeah. I, I don't necessarily agree with Jackson and Matt's um, don't care about box office at all. Um, Assertion. Can you give me a good reason why you would care because as a person who doesn't make movies but just writes about them? I have made movies. I know, but we're talking as 
like Callum's a film critic and we are talking about movies as people who are critiquing them as viewers. So if you're a person who doesn't make movies, why should you care about box office ever? I mean, well, I mean, I'm not saying that you should worry about the numbers or anything, but I'm saying that I think it's important to support the things that you like so that there's a better chance that that person will be able to continue making those things. That sure. You can like. But that's not the same thing as like looking at box office trends and writing your weekend box office reports and looking at what the like multipliers I'm are off sa- of your Thursdays. I'm not saying that it is, but the but it was the tone that both of you were implying were was to not care at all. But that's that's the kind of thing Callum was talking about, though. I guess it is a, a, a it is I think a uh, symptom of us knowing who the asker is. Oh, yeah, well, I don't, it's, I don't it's know also it's also very easy to get sucked into like um, you know because they release the numbers every week, and you have your favorite teams that you support. You can it's easy to get into this is basically capitalism as con- a spectator sport, which like happens all the time in. You know all the video game stuff that me and Matt see, and that's another way we got real turned off to it real fast because that's the worst. And it, it just doesn't add anything to enjoyment of anything. It doesn't help, you know, your mental health. Worrying about that stuff, it's 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 irrelevant. And yeah, it doesn't really like I've never ever in my life been like, well, I can't go see that because it didn't make any money, and oh, I need to see that because it made a ton of money, or. Vice versa. <laughs> like, well, I've never done you, that either. But I've thought. No, I don't. I, I don't think people. No, I've thought doing that. Sorry, go on. And I just don't think people. I, I don't think people are doing that. I think it's. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel like some people do. Yeah, but I, I know people do. That, I know people do. That we're gonna get better movies because the movies we got failed or didn't make the money they were supposed to make is fallacy. I don't think that's, that's gonna not happen. how this works. That's true. There's but, always some. Yeah. I don't think that. I I think um, what executives might do is panic a little, but they'll continue producing the same thing. But at least in terms of how I respond to box office, I do not pay attention to the numbers primarily, but I'll think, oh, this is a small film. I'd like to go support it, so I'll go see it in the theaters. So I did that with, like, Boyhood or We Are the Best, and it's one of those things where I hope other um, distributors Distributors will take notice of that director. The fact I that think that's different them. from paying attention to the numbers, though. That's just supporting something that you care about. Yeah, yeah. Patronizing artists uh, with your wallet is different than being part of the capitalist spectacle, like weekly grind machine. That is the like back, like the armchair film mogul thing that happens in a lot of spaces. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm looking through the films released this summer. It's been pretty good. I I also don't feel like the films have been worse and gonna cool things. Like I also think that the distribution method has changed significantly since 1997. So it's like why why compare? Because and the movie of... tickets are so much more expensive than yeah. they used to be, and the economy's different. Yeah, at this point, I am actually going to movies less because I would rather just catch up on things I haven't seen at home and wait. I can wait six months for the offset to catch up on things. I'm going to see movies less because it costs $75 to see a film in the UK. No, not quite say, I remember telling myself when movie tickets... Okay, when I was in middle school, movie tickets were like 450 where I live. No, 350 where I live. And I remember telling myself, oh, I'm not going to go when they're $10. And now they are. And, like, there was a very specific window in my life where I was going almost every weekend. And, yeah, that, that is totally died down. 
don't go to the theater in New York because they're fourteen dollars. That is crazy to me. All right, here's here's the I'm looking at right now. This is a standard adult two D screening. It's like eighteen, nineteen dollars, right? Okay, so two. For the listener, I'm converting it. London. I'm converting it to, to dollars. Yeah. So, yes. Seventeen eighty. Yeah, I'd never go to a movie again. Yep. Ugh. If I lived in London, I would be, I would have a VCR. I would still be buying VHS tapes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be listening to all my music on these cassette nineties. <laughs> I'd have reels. You guys want to come out and watch my reel? I have beta max. I have beta max. I'm saving up for this goddamn mini disc player. You guys, it's going to blow this shit wide open. (laughs) Did anyone have laser disc? Nope. Uh, No, I remember when my school got them. I remember like the demo the demo at school. Like, this is going to change how we watch things. Yeah, we're we're all too young for that. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah, I... I bought a DVD player at some point, and that's it. I've had one upgrade in my life. Yeah, I just got to the point where I can play Blu-rays, like, literally this summer. I didn't have yep. a way to play them at home yep. until uh, this summer. And now I've got all these DVDs, so what am I going to do? <laughs> I know, I just... I, I put them in the microwave, <laughs> obviously. I've had I'm my... get rid of them. I still own VHSs, and I have not replaced them, and my VCR is under my bed waiting for when I can hook it up to my TV. <laughs> My unopened VHS of Mission Impossible 2, never to be watched, never to be used. Tragedy. Oh, See, that's I, so funny. I tend not to upgrade my Blu-rays, because I usually don't need to, and I'm fine. Unless it's a favorite movie that I think would benefit from seeing in high definition, because I'm a, I'm a little bit of a videophile. Yeah, um, kind of picky spends, about what you'll get. Who spends his money frivolously and uh, unwisely. But mostly, because of the backwards compatibility, I do not feel the need to upgrade. I yeah. just don't even... And this is going to sound awful. As somebody who like loves things and loves art, I don't even really buy a whole lot of physical media anymore. The last DVDs I got were gifts. Somebody yeah, sent fine. them to me. I, I was having a moment earlier today where I was just getting annoyed at Blu-rays and HD stuff. I just got annoyed at the whole thing. Because, yeah, specifically, there's... Um, they, they released. They released Doctor Who Blu-rays now, and but because of it was filmed in the UK, so it was filmed for UK television rates, which is one frame faster or something, you know, whatever. So the Blu-ray versions are now like five percent slower to hit full HD, and instead of interpolating the frames and being the correct speed, and I get really annoyed at stuff like that because I feel like the pace and speed of a film of what you're watching is way more important than like the numbers of lines in the screen. I did not know that about British television and it explains so much to me. Thank you for saying that because I have a friend who says like she won't watch British television because it all looks really cheap because of that frame rate issue. Yeah. It looks weird on our TV. So a lot of British shows just look hella cheap. So so I'm watching, I'm watching Torture at the moment and the HD versions on Netflix do have that slowdown effect, and it looks like the cheapest thing. It looks yeah. like the, the most cheap thing, and I've been just switched to watch them on DVD because it just looks normal now. I'm like, ah, yeah. that's the. Because when I it's... watched Torchwood, I was watching. Uh, I I watched them on like 
rips, you know, that people had. So I didn't notice it. And then when Torchwood came on uh, BBC America, whenever I tried to watch it, I was like, I don't remember it looking this crappy. <laughs> and, and there are some things, I mean, obviously, films that are filmed properly, right. the, you're going to film, you're going to watch them on Blu-ray, that's fine. But something like a cheap television show, it's going to look worse. Mm-hmm. It's filmed to be on a small screen in 1980 or whatever, you know, that's, <laughs> you know, and that's what they're filmed for. That's what they're intended for. And forcing them to hit this level just of like fidelity and, and vision makes them look worse. I don't have any urge to upgrade certain things like that. Like there'll be specific films that I think benefit from seeing like Speed Racer. There's that's a Blu-ray film, mm-hmm. you know. But I think wanting everything in the, in HD 180 across the board is that number doesn't matter as much as people say it does. I'm not sure I agree with any of this. To be fair, why? Because when you when I look at like old movies, like black and white films on Blu-ray, like the textural experience of enjoying being able to see film grain and appreciate what it, what it brings to a movie, I think is really important to how I feel about movies as like objects as like pieces of art i agree sure. no, i agree i agree with I that just, yeah, I monetarily agree. i don't feel the need to i was more talking about like the tv stuff and the stuff that isn't the st- there is stuff that doesn't benefit from that um sure the and there are other there are more important things than just hitting that number i mean yeah absolutely but i i appreciate a nice blu-ray a lot it's true and i'm sure in 10 years i'll appreciate a nice 4k transfer or something also I bet you will. I'm hesitant yeah. a little bit about the 4K stuff because I'm. We're not. We cannot. <laughs> can we have? Has any of us seen a thing in 4K? I feel like I don't even. It's know. not a discussion we should have. No. Okay. Okay. I don't know if yeah. I have. No, because nobody owns a 4K TV in oh. anywhere we live. Okay. My, I. My hesitance is, comes more from a consumer point of view, though, because I'm like, you, Blu-ray. Okay, that's fine. Blu-ray has just really only very recently picked up to a point where 62% of the United States has a Blu-ray player. Sure. And but I also think this is the discussion they also had when Blu-ray came out. I mean, yeah. It, no one, everyone was like, why do I need Blu-rays? I, I got these things. I have so many of these things. <laughs> yeah, I never understood the point of Blu-ray until I actually watched something on Blu-ray, and I still did not jump to upgrade for years and years. Like, whenever I watch a good film on Blu-ray, I'm like, Blu-ray is the only way to watch movies and should always be. And then I'll watch something on DVD and be like, I've stopped caring. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, I can, I, like, it's not something like a thing you see and then you can never switch off. You can go back. You can go back quite easily. I think oh, yeah. the, the film that made me uh, a Blu-ray preacher is um, Chaplin's Modern Times. Oh, really? It's a really good Blu-ray. Yeah, it is. It's a really That good one Blu-ray. and The Red Shoes, they both look absolutely gorgeous with... <gasps> They're, they're incredibly textural. You can you can feel that it's a film. You can feel that it's something that was shot and could could be felt and and could be touched. Modern yeah. Times is gorgeous. I would love to see the Red Shoes on Blu-ray. I own it on DVD, and I don't know if I'll ever upgrade. But it's it's one of the most beautiful movies. So it'd be it'd be great to see. But you know what made me a Blu-ray convert is Lost, the television show of Lost. Really? <laughs> Hawaii. It's shot in Hawaii. Uh, and it's gorgeous. It is absolutely gorgeous. How are they going to do... That's the HD question that I'm interested in. Are they actually making the wire and widescreen now? Is that what they're actually doing? Tell me they're not actually doing that. 
Apparently, um, from what I heard, no, it's still going to be four three. Okay. But they are resourcing the film because it's shot on film, so it will be you know high resolution. Will it be That's pillar boxed. An... It's so long. It'll it'll just be it'll just be in four three ratio. So, so long as it's still yeah. the same frame. Yeah. Uh, okay, I. That's another one I feel strange about being looking better. I don't know. But I mean, it was shot on film, so it's fine. Yeah, but when I think about that thing and what it exists as, and the way it was a thing on television, and like that is a television show from that era, and watching it in the formats it has now, rather than as a super clear remastered film format, adds something. It does, and it. it and that's different mm. to the way you watch like an old specific like 30s film or something and you can see the imperfections brought in a new context. I feel the wire, it exists differently to that. No, because if, if they were b- filming the show to be like a gritty television thing, they would have filmed on tape. They film on film because they wanted to make it look as nice as possible. It, lo- it does look as nice as possible. I don't know. Thus, in translation, if you can make it look nicer and not disrupt what actually is there, you should. Okay. Alright. I don't know. I just... I have no coherent argument. It's just a feeling. It's probably. Just I mean, that's fair. I mean, I mean, it, it's totally one of those things that could be argued. Feels, feels. Okay, we're dumb. <laughs> what's uh, What's next month? It's uh, Kyle's turn. Kyle, right? hit us up. Um, next month, we are going to do Mike Lee's film Naked, with that guy who played Remus Lupin in The Prisoner of Azkaban. I don't actually know his name. Oh shit! What's his name? Hang on. Let's Which Google. is Lupin? Lupin's the werewolf guy. Yeah, his name's Lupin. Yeah. Shut up! Ah! <laughs> You're ridiculous, fucking, you know that? Fucking Harry Potter. Which you, one? But <laughs> You are ridiculous. Well, this movie is starring David Thewlis. Thewlis, that's it. Yeah, I always forget his name. He's got one of those faces, though. I've seen him in a million things, but I never remember his uh, freaking name. I was getting confused with the same character in the movie before. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see this movie. I've never seen a Mike Lee movie, as far as I know. I very, m- I have not seen this film, but I like what I've seen from Mike Lee, particularly Topsy Turvy, which retells uh, the tale of um, how they created... Uh, the Mikado. Um, but Naked is about a drifter. Naked is about this very um, violent, drunken drifter in England that kind of just goes from place to place and is very, uh, you know, toxic. Uh, cool. I've been meaning to get to this one for a while, and now I have an excuse to watch it. Well, that's going to be a good one. It is available on the Criterion Hulu page as well as Criterion's DVD and Blu-ray store. Mm-hmm. It used to be on Netflix, but it isn't anymore. Okay. Boo. Boo to that. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. We're back next Ides with another hot cast of Trashback Ratio. <laughs> hot cast. Hot cast. Hot cast. The hottest. Plugs. Plug zone. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Do you want? Do you want to plug? Then you want to plug? You want to plug? Who wants let's, to plug? Let's plug. I'm gonna plug let's first plug. since I picked the movie. Plug in. <laughs> plug it all. Plugging it up. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Uh, <laughs> I can be found on Twitter at fridgebuzznow. Um, all word, no underscores or any weird things like that. And then my 
other podcast, uh, Badland Girls. Boss. Sorry? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> my, 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 my other hot cast can be found at badlandgirls.com. We have an episode dropping, hopefully tonight, if I can get my blog out, um, um, about, I think we talked about, oh, movies about friendship. So look out for oh, that. That was that was. Oh, I remember that tweet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had a long discussion. We actually talked. I talked about eating Raul a tiny bit in that, and I also talked about uh, the Antonia Bird film Ravenous nice. with Guy Pierce. Um, also, um, we just you know, Badlinger Girls were uh, also on iTunes and a bunch of other places. Plugs? Anybody else? Who's Pl- plugging? I'll go next. You can uh, find me at abnormalmapping.com. It's a podcast about video games. Also, we're on a book club, booksorcrooks.tumblr.com. Uh, we talk about books. And I'm on Twitter at LitRock. I'm Kyle Turner, and you can find me on various places on the internet, such as Twitter at Tyle Kerner, T Y L E K U R N E R. You can find my writery, writerly adventures um, on tilekerner.tumblr.com uh, I have I'm assistant editor of moviemezzanine.com now so that's cool um, and you can find my blog where I write movie reviews that don't go on the other places that I write at moviescene.wordpress.com one word no S-C-E-N-E cool. I'm Jackson Tyler you can find me on Twitter at T-Y-L-E-A-002 tidyazer 2 I guess that's how you say it. Uh, also on abnormalmapping.com, that's me. Follow me on Twitter if, I guess, this month you want a bunch of tweets about Doctor Who. That's <laughs> <laughs> so what you're going to get. Okay, that's the plugs are done. All plugged up. Thanks, everyone, for listening. <laughs> that's, my, yeah. that's my Friday night. All plugged up. <laughs> nice. D- nice. Thank you for bringing the class. <laughs> bringing the class. And he said eating Raul was too uh, disgusting. It's true. It's true. No, it's, uh, you know, um, I don't know. Never mind. I'm not going to make that joke. You should. You should do, do it. it do it. I was going to say last month was anal August. I know. <laughs> so. <laughs> but why? It just uh, that was that, no, I no just think it through. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> what happened? Everybody got really quiet. I said, "But why?" And then no one got it. It was oh, very sad. I, oh, sorry. I okay. got it now. I'm here with you now. I'm on the same page. I'm shutting this down. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.